from deep inside your audio device of choice. Which audio device will you choose this week? Do you ever waste any brain power on that? Me neither. Ladies and gentlemen, the most tantalizing, possibly not the most important, but you never know. I mean, there's the uh, genocide over in, uh, where is it? Me, me, and, me and Bobby Myanmar. Um, and all the stuff in Yemen. They're bombing civilians with our bombs. Yeah. But uh, clearly the most tantalizing story was the will she or won't she, did, she, did he or didn't he tale of Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. Dr. Ford, as you know, came out uh, from behind the anonymity that she um, until recently valued to accuse the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, not nominated by uh, <laughs> President Trump, Brett Kavanaugh, of having uh, uh, attempted to rape her when she was 15 years old. And uh, the story has had numerous twists and turns, not the least of which is the uh, appearance late in the week of a tweet stream, a tweet storm, a tweet thread, thank you, um, by a guy by the name of Ed Whalen, a noted lawyer in the conservative community, and what a community it is, who... Um, proposed a an alternative explanation, an alternative set of facts, hey, for the event, namely that uh, she was mistaken and it was a friend of his, schoolmate of his, whom Whalen identified in the tweets, a private citizen, a teacher, just minding his own whatever. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, particular detail in the apologies of the week, needless to say. But uh, the big question was, will she appear to testify at a special hearing of the confirmation hearings for Kavanaugh? The hearings are over, supposedly, but um, the committee uh, and her lawyers kept going back and forth on, well, will she? Will they reopen the hearings to have her testify? Will they invite any other witnesses? There apparently were one or two other witnesses possible, uh, her therapist, her parents, uh, Kavanaugh's friend who supposedly attended the party with him, uh, who confessed in a book recently to being a teenage alcoholic. But hey, you know, kids, kids these days, kids those days. Um, and it was only late Saturday that we learned that the committee and Dr. Ford's lawyers had finally seemingly agreed on a date for her to testify, which would be this coming Thursday. Now it's you know now the debate is all over. Uh, will she be questioned by the senators who've almost all taken a position on her story already, right? Or, or uh, yes or no? And um, will she testify before Do- uh, Kavanaugh or after Kavanaugh? Will there be other witnesses there, as I mentioned, um, to be called to testify? Um, will it be private or public? We don't even know that yet. And throughout this toing and froing, there's been, I think, a yearning among Americans. I think I speak for all Americans when I said this. A yearning for a more dignified, uh, compassionate, uh, sensitive, and yet probative forum in, in which this could be settled. And here it is. 
This week on the Dr. Bill Show, she says he tried to rape her. He put his hand over my mouth to keep me from screaming. He says it never happened. I wasn't at that party, and uh, when I did go to parties, I just drank fruit juice. Dr. Bill says... There's only one way to get to the bottom of this, and that's for both of you to agree to come spend a month at the Dr. Bill house with the cameras rolling. Is he assailant or saint? Is she victim or vixen? If I can't find out, only someone with a still active license to practice can. The Dr. Bill Show, sometime this week, we'll let you know when. Hello, welcome to the show. the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, from the home of e-scooters. You want them on your uh, lawn? 
driveway, sidewalk, come and get them. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. How are you feeling? What are your, what are your as they say these days, what are your feels? We'll find out when I read the trades for you. This is from Advertising Age. Project Fields. How USA Today, ESPN, and the New York Times, not the failing New York Times, the, the succeeding New York Times, are targeting ads to mood. Yes, I will read that for you. Mm-hmm. Lately, media companies, including the New York Times, ESPN, and USA Today, have rolled out ad products that they say can match ads to people in certain moods. Back in, way back in 2016, USA Today Network started categorizing its content by topic and tone and scoring it based on the emotions it is believed to most evoke. Doesn't that sound scientific? Last year, it started to sell advertising based on that knowledge with a product called Lens Targeting. Kelly Andreessen, head of Get Creative, USA Today's content studio, said the publisher is trying to show a link between the emotions a story is likely to evoke and ad performance. Likely, that's a science word, isn't it? An ad campaign for a nonprofit that was targeted to people reading inspirational stories resulted in a 25% higher donation rate than ads that weren't targeted she said. We've seen a gradual increase in RFPs. You tell me. Advertisers aren't asking for audience by demographic, but psychographic, Andreessen said. This is one step to find those psychographics instead of numbers you can get from outside parties. The New York Times rolled out a tool earlier this year called Project Feels. It lets advertisers target ads to content based on emotional responses the content is predicted to have. I want to take those predictors to the uh, racetrack. ESPN has been pitching a tool to target sports fans on its digital properties based on their changing emotional state during a game. Now it's trying to apply all that know-how to the rest of Disney's properties, like Fox tool is called Life Connect and takes the sports preferences that its logged in users provide and overlays that with data about how people feel based on how their team is doing and line that up with advertisers' goals. That could mean showing ads for travel or celebratory experiences to people whose team is on a winning streak or not advertising to them at all if their team is losing. That's all you have to do to avoid ads. Have your team lose. According to Vikram Somaya, Senior VP of Ad Platforms at ESPN, we're in the emotion-generating business. We have a lot of first-party data we can use with a lot of transactions with the consumer. Why wouldn't we do it? Says Chris Wexler, Senior Vice President of Media and Analytics at Kramer Kraselt. It just depends on how rich the data set is. It's an exciting frontier because we're looking for people to, who are open to our message. An emotional state is a key part of it. 
Demographics is based targeting is better than no targeting. Behavior based is better than demographics if you put in in order of importance. Mood is above behavioral. Why don't we all wear mood rings and have them internet connect? Hitting people with a message when they're likely to be receptive is as old as advertising, but using artificial intelligence to target people based on their mood is another level of manipulation. <laughs> this is language from Ad Age. Publishers and agencies say they draw the line at using personally identifiable data or data without saying what it's being collected for. Quote, this is really about focusing on finding better qualified audiences. But this is not at a point where we can manipulate mood through content, Andreessen said. ESPN Somaya said it won't use information it thinks people don't feel should be publicly revealed, keeping in mind its family-focused Disney audience. That data isn't as commercially valuable as information they willingly provide anyway, he added. The biggest challenge is proving that mood-based targeting works and at scale. It's still just an occasional part of the ad sell at publishers. It takes a client that's willing and able to work closely with the publisher on figuring out what the return on investment should be, measuring it, and spending the premium that's often charged. Agencies also want more information about the methodology. It's an easier sell with music because it's easier to believe, as companies like Spotify might say, the people who listen to breakup music are sad. Apparently Spotify hasn't broken up. Josh Baines, who works at Oracle, whose grape shot product powers mood-based targeting, says the topic is getting more visibility because it provides a deeper level of targeting and chance to qualify people's mindsets. Showing it drives real business outcomes and not just fluffy metrics. <laughs> Isn't that a stripper? Fluffy metrics? Will be key to growing its adoption, though, he said. Other categories outside of music are a harder sell. Some advertisers are uh, shying away from being around news because they think it will create a negative association with their brands. For news publishers, one hope of AI is to change advertisers' association to news. Andreessen said USA Today Network found people are equally drawn to positive versus negative stories when they come to the site, a finding it uses in pitches to advertisers. Wexler isn't so sure. Quote, in music they can claim to know when you're sad. We'd be particularly skeptical about news content. Are we going to guess that because someone's in Alabama, they're angry about something versus someone in New York? He asked. They're asking the big questions, ladies and gentlemen. A fact that becomes apparent when I read the trades for you. It's a copyrighted feature. Hey, you know what that old book gave us? It gave us... Yeah. Land-based bird populations are becoming confined to nature reserves in some parts of the world. This raises the risk of global extinction and is due to the loss of suitable habitat, according to a report led by University College London. 
Researchers analyzed biodiversity in an area known as Sundaland, covering the peninsula of Thailand, Borneo, Malaysia, Sumatra, Java, and Bali. It happens to be one of the world's most biologically degraded regions. That's uh, thanks to you and me. The study is published in Conservation Letters. It focuses on galliforms, heavy-bodied, ground-feeding birds, such as pheasants, grouse, and quail. I think they'd object to the heavy-bodied description, but they don't have a PR person. As their numbers are well-recorded, and they're among the most threatened species in some parts of the world. Scientists found that up to 13 populations, 25% of the populations in the area, have been extirpated, their word for made locally extinct, in the region and no longer exist outside nature, nature reserves. The island of Sumatra has suffered the highest proportion of extirpations among the areas studied, having lost 50% of its species in unprotected land. As a result, certain species are only found in protected areas, raising questions about the ultimate goal of conservation. The researchers argue these areas were never intended to be a last resort for the existence of species and are also coming under increasing threat from you and me. Los humans. Professor Elizabeth Bokes of UCL says, Land outside of protected areas is increasingly being lost to agriculture and infrastructure, leading to species becoming confined to Sunderland's protected areas. Biodiversity in the unprotected landscape is required to maintain connectivity. What are they, on the Internet? Darlin. And ecosystem function. It's also critical that protected areas are managed effectively. However, she says, nearly 20% of Malaysia's and over 40% of Indonesia's protected land is subject to intense human pressure. Well, join the club. What do you think we're going through? As she continues, as one of the most biologically degraded areas, Sunderland offers a stark warning to the rest of the world. Should global rates of land conversion, that is to say, from theirs to ours, continue unabated. Conservation's end goal, she says, is not islands of biodiversity marooned in a sea of destruction. More land must be managed in a way that accommodates biodiversity for the long term. Unquote. Don't tell us. Tell the bonobos. Sunderland is rich in biodiversity, but at risk of destruction. Forest cover there in Sumatra declined by 5% between 1990 and 2000, Kalimantan's protected lowland forests declined by more than 56% between 1985 and 2001. Forest schmorest, you know. In addition to it, this, protected areas are not necessarily permanent. Downgrading has occurred over the last few years at a loss of about 3,200 square miles of protected land. As they become more isolated... Species lose the opportunity to attract and adapt to climate change. Just 12% of Borneo's protected areas are topographically diverse enough to allow species to survive a high warming scenario. Well, they don't need to worry about that. Tell the species, won't you? Pass the word. We got dominion. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Apparently not. Microplastic can escape from polluted waters via 
flying insects. Did you offer me? New research has revealed contaminating new environments and threatening birds and other creatures that eat the insects. Ugh. Scientists fed microplastics to mosquito larvae. They live in water. But they found, the scientists did, not the larvae, that the particles remained inside the animals as they transformed into flying adults. Other recent research has found that half of the mayfly and caddisfly larvae in rivers in Wales contained microplastics. This is according to The Guardian, which cares about males, whales more than you do. Concern over microplastic pollution is rising rapidly, as it's discovered in ever more places. And very little research has been done on how it may harm wildlife or humans. We're supposed to care about humans now? The particles can harbor bacteria or leach toxic chemicals. Microplastics have been found in tap water around the world. Good reason to drink tap water. In vast numbers in the oceans and sea creatures and even in remote Swiss mountains. Oh! The... Uh, Yodel of the microplastic. It's a shocking reality that plastic is contaminating almost every corner of the environment and its ecosystems, says uh, the leader of the new research on mosquitoes. Much recent attention, he says, sorry, she says, has been given to the plastics polluting our oceans. This research reveals it's also in our skies. It's like Superman. The new study published in the journal Biology Letters used Culex pipians mosquitoes, they're found across the world in many habitats. Oh, get out. Get off. The researchers found the larvae readily consumed fluorescent microplastic particles that were 0.0002 centimeters in size. That's micro. Larvae are filter feeders that waft little combs towards their mouths. Thank goodness they don't have brushes. So they can't actually distinguish between a bit of plastic and a bit of food, said the lead researcher, Amanda Callahan. They eat algae, which are more or less the same size as microplastics. The larvae matured into a non-feeding pupa stage. Mmm, pupa. And then emerged as adult mosquitoes, which still had significant microplastic within them. Researchers are now studying if this damages the mosquitoes. Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be good to damage the mosquitoes? Callahan says it's highly likely that other flying insects that begin as water larvae also eat and retain microplastics. Birds, bats, and spiders eat large numbers of insects, which uh, would suggest they're also consuming microplastics. You get swarms of insects, she says, Callahan. You have a lot of plastic going up. It's totally depressing. These plastics are going to be around forever. Nah. When the sun dies, it's over, babe. Plastics have been found inside many seabirds, but this is the first research suggesting terrestrial birds that eat insects are at risk. The head of the conservation charity Bug Life, isn't that a boy band? Said, aquatic insects are in the microplastic front line. We emit billions of plastic fibers every year many of which go straight into rivers, so there's an urgent need for more research into the role microplastics may be playing in observed declines in aquatic life. Many microplastics are fibers shed by synthetic clothing during washing. Don't wash it. Don't wash your, don't wash your poly thing. Just, you know, let it... Uh, de That's the way to make it degrade. Just keep wearing it without washing. While research proceeds, 
says um, the chief executive of Bug Life. We can all think carefully about our clothing choices. Now he's a fashion thing? Now he's a fashion guru? I want you to think about your fashion choices. Designers, large pieces of plastic are easily seen and clearly harm animals from turtles to albatrosses. But research has also found microplastics, smaller than 5 millimeter, in many marine creatures from worms to plankton and up the food chain to fish. They have been shown to damage the health of those animals. Like the oceans, freshwater rivers and lakes are also heavily contaminated. A river near Manchester in UK has the worst microplastic pollution yet recorded, but the impact on wildlife in these habitats has been much less studied. The research in the Welsh rivers found microplastics in larvae both upstream and downstream from wastewater treatment plants, indicating that plastic pollution enters rivers directly, not just via sewage. It also suggests that treatment don't treat microplastics. Eating seafood, such as mussels or cod, is one way that uh, humans take in microplastics. Beer, sugar, and sea salt have all been found to contain microplastics. Plastic production is expected to climb by 40% in the next decade. Yeah! So exposure of humans to the stuff is, is likely to increase. This prompts scientists to call for urgent research on the effects of microplastics on people according to The Guardian. Or at least on micro-people. And now news of the godly. Francis the Talking Pope is uh, under study. His role in Argentina's most famous case of priestly sex abuse is coming under renewed scrutiny. He faces the greatest crisis of his papacy. Not his poopacy, his papacy over the Catholic Church's troubled legacy of cover-up and allegations he himself cited allegations that he himself cited with the accused, according to the Associated Press, which left out the, the that. Francis, who at the time was still Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio, in 2010 commissioned a four-volume, 2,000-plus page forensic study of the legal case against a convicted priest. The study concluded he was innocent, that his victims were lying, and the case never should have gone to trial. The Argentine Church says the study, obtained by the AP, bound volumes complete with reproductions of Vermeer paintings on the covers, was for internal church use only. The volume is purportedly ended up on the desks of some Argentine court justices who were ruling on the appeals of the Reverend Julio Grassi. That's the convicted priest. Despite the study, Argentina's Supreme Court a year and a half ago upheld the conviction and 15 years of prison against Grassi, a celebrity priest, according to the AP, who ran homes for street children across Argentina. Well, of course he did. And God bless him. The study in Francis's role in the Grassi case has taken on new relevance following the allegations by a former Vatican ambassador that Francis and a long line of Vatican officials before him covered up the sexual misconduct of a prominent U.S. Cardinal, Theodore McCarrick. AP interviewed a victim of Grassi. Gabe Gabriel says he's still waiting for Francis to acknowledge his pain. Given the fact that the Argentine Supreme Court has now ruled that he indeed was assaulted by Grassi when he was 13. 
Well, that's old enough to be a... And four men who were repeatedly sexually abused as children by a religion teacher at a Roman Catholic church in Brooklyn, New York, they've reached a $27.5 million settlement with the Diocese of Brooklyn and a local after-school program, one of the largest settlements ever awarded to individual victims of abuse within the church. So when that plate comes around, you, you drop some... The victims were reportedly and repeatedly abused by Angelo Serrano, 67 years old now, but he was younger then. He taught catechism classes and helped organize the religious education programs at St. Lucy's St. Patrick's Church in Brooklyn. The abuse occurred inside the church in Mr. Serrano's apartment located in an old schoolhouse behind the church. Oh, yeah, the old schoolhouse. And at the affiliated after-school program. So he didn't care where he did it. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Two days in Paris can change a guy or just um, confirm a previous predilection. From Santa Monica, this is Le Show, and now... News of the Olympic Movements. 
produced by Jim Ebersole Jr. Well, here's good news, in a way, about uh, the fate of all the facilities at the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics in Korea, South Korea, pardon me. They, uh, as you may recall, those Olympics ended seven months ago. It seems like eight, doesn't it? Left behind are empty venues feuding over who pays for upkeep, and an icy ski course that's now an abandoned dirt runway strewn with rocks and unused gondolas. You're welcome, South Korea. Thank you. This is from the Associated Press. Rare trees once stood before the course was gouged out of a mountainside. Plans called for replanting the uh, area and restoring the forest. <laughs> Other venues sit mostly deserted. A speed skating arena, a hockey center, a bobsled track, and a ski jump. Well, you could use those for... Do they have 7-Elevens in Korea? Meanwhile, host Gangwon province has failed to persuade the national government to pay for maintenance. That would save the Providence, uh, province $5.3 million annually. But they got that on them. The eventual solution may be simple. Tear down the costly venues. The possibility surfaces as four bidders try to land the 2026 Winter Games. Beijing already has the 2022 edition. Quote, honestly, I can't think of any other way, says Sanggu Yun. Sang Ho Yoon, a senior researcher at Seoul's Korea Economic Research Institute, whether it's the national government or regional government, somebody will have to pay. The history of past host cities isn't promising. Very few of them experienced a meaningful tourism bump after the Olympics. Unquote. Mr. Yoon, South Korea spent about $13 billion in preparing for and staging the Winter Olympics. It spent $110 million alone on the Olympic Stadium. That was a temporary structure demolished after the closing ceremony. They didn't have a demolishing ceremony. No, they didn't. Provincial officials cling to the dream of developing a ski resort to drive the economy in what happens to be one of South Korea's poorest regions. So it was good expenditure of $13 billion. They are reluctant, are the provincial officials, to let Pyeongchang's legacy be defined by demolished venues. Should have thought of that. The Pyongyang Olympics were generally viewed as a success, though some venues lacked fans and atmosphere, and a doping scandal kept away many Russian athletes. South Korea's central government has agreed to a six-month study by the Korea Development Institute before deciding what to do with all the white elephants. The result may simply delay the inevitable since the Korea Development Institute is run by the government's finance ministry. It's called a legacy, ladies and gentlemen. And it's only part of what makes the Olympics a movement. And we all need one every day. Apologies straight ahead, but before that, news from um, 
Minnesota. Now, um, Keith Ellison, former Democratic, I guess he still has his seat while he's running. He's a former Democratic congressman, soon to be former Democratic congressman, if... No, I think he can't run for both, so he'll be former anyway. But he's running for Attorney General of Minnesota. And uh, he's struggling with um, accusations of uh, sexual improprieties against him by at least a couple of women. That's not making national news so much. But, of course, there's um, there are two other more well-known national figures who have uh, lost their jobs thanks to similar accusations, of course, former Democratic senator from Minnesota, Al Franken, and longtime host of, um, what was the name of that show? God, you forget so soon. Garrison Keillor. Now comes word from the Minnesota Pioneer Press that he's selling his home in St. Paul, the century-old mansion, Advertised for 2.495. Uh, I just didn't want to say 2.5, did you? In a post on the a Facebook page of the uh, of a St. Paul real estate firm. Uh, was bought by Keeler in 2008 for $2.15 million. So that would be, you know, not, not a crazy profit. The 10,000-square-foot house boasts five bedrooms and nine bathrooms according to the uh, listing. He was fired last year over ac- accusations of sexual impropriety. And a Prairie Home Companion, as you know, has been renamed as it uh, continues under Chris Teeley. Keeler, who also owned, owns a home in New York, hinted in a Facebook post, hey, he's on Facebook, like him. He hinted the day of his firing that he might move away. Quote, I think I have to leave the country in order to walk around in public and not feel accusing glances, unquote. Well, sure, it has been a quiet week in Lake Reverie, Minnesota, my hometown. <laughs> Down at the Catbox Cafe, Sheila Lundgren had started putting up the cardboard window signs announcing the return of pumpkin burgers to the lunch menu. That's as sure a sign as the turning of the leaves that autumn has arrived in town. Like every year, the sign featured Sheila's drawing of a smiling pumpkin nestling between two halves of a bun. Even though everyone in town knew that the the felling in the burgers was chunky pumpkin puree straight out of a can. Only Mamstrom from the pick-and-grin hardware store around the corner, he'd asked Sheila about this a couple of years ago, and her answer seemed to put Harley's mind at rest. She, well, she just told him everything else on the Catbox Cafe menu came from a can, so why should the pumpkin burger be any different? <laughs> Down at St. Luke's, Father Sarnquist was already hard at work, Securing the sanctuary from the yearly Halloween visit by the self-anointed ice punks from up the highway. A few years ago, they had started appearing all over local churches throughout the county, showing up wearing dark cloaks and skeleton masks. City folks might have thought it was 
pretty harmless stunt, but in the less jaded precincts of Lake Reverie, people found it unsettling, to say the least. Father Sarnquist heard one of his parishioners refer to it as terrorism, don't you know? So he was busy checking the locks on the big doors at both ends of the church, as well as installing new little smart locks on the windows. Those smart locks, they would send a, a notification to his cell phone if any nonsense was afoot on the church premises. And so he could spend the evening at home with Mrs. Sarnquist instead of having to set out front in what he liked to call his pre-owned Dodge Durango all Halloween night, working ice punk alert. <laughs> but mainly people in town were talking about the fellow on the radio, which in itself was a very big turnaround, because for more years than most folks could remember, it was the fellow on the radio who was talking about them. <laughs> Lisbeth Swalberg down at the nail file was doing an emoji nail job on Krista Olson. Krista couldn't stop talking about the fella on radio since he was selling his big home in the city. And ever since the local newspaper, the Lake Reverie Advertiser, shut down due to lack of advertising, <laughs> Krista depended on the conversations in the nail file for her daily supply of town gossip. Lisbeth said she had heard the Radio Fellows House down in the city had nine bathrooms. And Christian allowed as how, since he seemed to have had so many affairs with people who worked on his program, maybe that wasn't so out of line after all, just in case all of them showed up at the same time. <laughs> Lisbeth was looking around for her cotton balls. No matter how many times she told Rudy the high school dropout from the Gustafson family who tidied up her store. He still put the cotton balls someplace different every time he finished up. But she told Krista, way I heard it, his hand had just slid up a lady's back when he was trying to comfort her. Krista was sipping her cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper when she heard that and her little expulsion of laughter was so explosive, she snorted Dr. Pepper all over the nail salon smock. <laughs> Lisbeth told her not to worry. The little boy would clean it up when he came in from lunch. And then Krista's voice went down to a whisper, even though there was nobody else in the salon. And she said that, I heard that the disgraced senator might buy the house. And Lisbeth's eyes widened, as if she'd just seen some northern lights or something. And she said, how could that possibly be? And Krista said, again relying on the prairie telegraph, that one of the women who had accused them both happened to be a real estate agent. Meanwhile, back down at the Catbox Cafe, Mr. Olufsen, the male nurse from the walk-in clinic at the gas station, <laughs> told Ollie Mamstrom that the fellow on the radio had told people he was selling the house because he was moving far away, maybe even out of state. <laughs> Ollie took that in as he 
cut up his pumpkin burger. His eyes looked like he was deep in thought, as if he was contemplating some deep cosmic question of existence after what seemed like a small eternity. Ollie took in a deep inhale and told Mr. Olufsen in a dark, conspiratorial voice, Well, I guess before he does, I should ask for my hammer back. <laughs> That's the news from Lake Reverie. The time stands still, and so does everybody else. Well, thank you so much. Now, as threatened, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Google has apologized. Thursday of this week, some Android smartphone users <laughs> reported that their battery saving settings were enabled without their knowledge or consent. Pardon me. Google eventually admitted it was an experimental feature that was accidentally rolled out to more users than intended. And uh, on Saturday of this week, Google apologized for the confusion. The event raises questions, according to Business Insider, about how much control Google has over users' smartphones without their knowledge or consent. <laughs> yeah, right. Google did issue an apology to the smartphone users on Reddit who reported their battery savings settings were turned on without their knowledge or consent. Last week, the battery-saving option on Google's Pixel smartphones, as well as two essential phones, was inexplicably turned on, even if the owners had previously turned it off. That's uh, because the phones were running the latest version of the Android operating system, Android Pie 9.0. The battery-saving feature slows down the phone's performance and prevents the phone from actively seeking notifications for things like emails and updates. Google said this was an internal experiment to test battery-saving features that was mistakenly rolled out to more users than intended. Sorry for the confusion. Google also rolled back the battery-saving settings to their original settings on the affected phones. Raised questions among smartphone owners in the Reddit thread about the kind of control that Google has on phones running Android. <laughs> yeah, right. No, nothing, nothing to worry. No, please, nothing to see here. An Australian rules football club and three players have apologized unreservedly after they were criticized for a racist incident in which they dressed in blackface as Serena and Venus Williams for Mad Monday, a season-ending celebration. Of course, you know what Australian rules football is. There are no rules. So there you go. A New Jersey sheriff who's recorded making racist remarks about black people and about the state's Sikh attorney general is apologizing but says he won't resign. Governor Phil Murphy and other elected officials called for Bergen County Sheriff Michael Sodino's resignation after WNYC obtained a recording in which the sheriff can be heard making remarks about black people as well as the state's attorney general, Gurbir Grawai, sorry, Grawal, after the inauguration last January. He talked about the whole thing, the marijuana, sanctuary state, better criminal justice reform, Saudino said of Murphy's inauguration speech in the recording. Christ almighty, in other words, let the blacks come in, do whatever the F they want, smoke their marijuana, do this, do that, and don't worry about it. You know, we'll tie the hands of cops, he reportedly said. He went on to say, Murphy only appointed Grewal because of, quote, 
the turban, unquote. He also wondered aloud whether the lieutenant governor was gay, quote, because she's never been married. Saudino, in his third term as Bergen County Sheriff, released a statement Thursday evening acknowledging he'd made the insensitive recorded remarks. Not, they're not representative of the person that I am. This is a not-who-I-am not apology. And they are in no way consistent with the manner in which I've conducted my life personally and as a law enforcement professional. Despite the calls for him to resign, Sodino instead said he would be reaching out to community leaders to apologize and repair the damage to the friendships he's built with those communities. Not to mention the friendship he's built with the chair he sits in. The namesake of the University of Mississippi's journalism school is apologizing for his Facebook post that critics called racist. Ed Meek posted photos Wednesday of two black women in short dresses, which he said were taken in the town square in Oxford, Mississippi, at 2 a.m. after a ball game. A 3% decline in enrollment is nothing compared to what we will see if this continues, and real estate values will plummet, as will tax revenues, Meek wrote. We all share in the responsibility to protect the values we hold dear that have made Ole Miss known nationally. Ole Miss Chancellor Jeffrey Vitter, any relation, called on Meek to apologize. Meek subsequently deleted his own post and wrote a new one. I apologize to those offended by my post. My intent was to point out we have a problem in the Grove and on the Oxford Square. He led Ole Miss public relations for 37 years. A petition now seeks to remove his name from the journalism school, which was named, after, uh, named for him after he and his wife donated $5.3 million in 2009. How do you get that kind of money running PR for a public university? Deadline Sacramento, California, East Bay Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell apologized this week for a stupid tweet. He said it was stupid. Sent in the early morning hours that mocked a Republican senator who said her office was receiving threats over the battle to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Senator Susan Collins told a radio station in Maine her office has received some pretty ugly voicemail threats. She called the process very ugly. Swalwell shared a story on Twitter that quoted Collins' interview, writing in the tweet sent just after midnight, Boo-hoo-hoo, you're a senator who police will protect. A sexual assault victim can't sleep in her own home tonight because of threats. CNN's Jake Tapper objected to that tweet. Quote, maybe all such threats are bad and should be taken seriously and not mocked. Swalwell responded, quote, no one should make threats. I didn't mean to suggest that. But I'm pissed how this victim's safety has been ignored and a rush to confirm has been prioritized. Why not offer the witness security? He later deleted the first tweet and wrote, sexual assault victims deserve respect and senators shouldn't be threatened by the public. I said something stupid and minimized ugly behavior. That tweet is deleted and I'm sorry for that. Is he sorry that he deleted the tweet? I am confused. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau apologized in the House of Commons for using what he called unparliamentary language. Mr. Speaker, it was brought to my attention that in an outburst of enthusiasm, I may have used a word that was unparliamentary. I withdraw that word and apologize to anyone who was offended, he told the Commons. When asked by reporters what he said, Trudeau said, I'm not going to repeat what I said. Spokesman for the Prime Minister's office said it was his use of the word damn that led to his apology. Damn, that's Canadian. Deadline Grand Rapids, Michigan. The Bishop of the Grand Rapids Roman Catholic Diocese says he profoundly apologizes to children who are sexually abused by priests and other clergy. Bishop David Walkowiak presided over what he called a holy hour for survivors and the restoration of hope for the Catholic Church. 
As a bishop of the church, I offer my profound apology, he told the crowd in the cathedral. All of us want to offer our prayers and our support for our ongoing healing. The bishop said, clergy who preyed upon children misused their power and betrayed the trust placed in them and misspelled pray. Deadline, Sarasota, Florida, the Democratic nominee in Florida's 16th Congressional District, David Shapiro, is issuing an apology after his son's offensive social media comments surfaced from 2010. These kids, these teenage kids, David's son, Adam Shapiro, says he won't be involved with his father's campaign anymore after the Florida politics reported he made racist comments on Facebook in 2010. I offer my sincere apologies for the offensive comments I made. Clearly, I had a lot of maturing to do, said Adam Shapiro. These thoughtless Facebook posts do not reflect who I truly am. A not-who-I-am apology. Second today, American Airlines is apologizing to rapper Whale, who they consider a good customer after the rapper accused two flight attendants of threatening to call the police last Sunday because he was sitting in first class after they had to... uh, Reboard an aircraft. Results of a seven-month investigation released this week confirmed numerous instances of sexual harassment and other improper workplace conduct in the Dallas Mavericks basketball team organization, spanning more than two decades. The investigation essentially corroborated and expanded upon accounts brought to light in a Sports Illustrated story and further detailed through reporting by the Dallas Morning News. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban was not implicated, but during a Times tearful interview on ESPN, Cuban apologized to the women who had been victimized during his 18-year ownership tenure. I'm just sorry I didn't see it. I'm sorry I didn't recognize it. I just hope that out of this will be better and we can avoid it and we can help make everybody just smarter about the whole thing, said Cuban. And he also hoped they make the playoffs this year. As a uh, Suggested earlier, Ed Whalen, the uh, conservative Republican legal guy who was involved with the uh, preparation of Brett Kavanaugh for his confirmation hearings, according to most reports, has uh, apologized apologized twice for that tweet storm he sent, implicating a named other person, a private person, as the person who you know, might might just as well have committed the attempted rape on uh, Professor Ford, the uh, person who's accusing Brett Kavanaugh of the event. Whalen tweeted, quote, I grievously and carelessly wronged the person I identified, and I owe him and his family my deepest apologies. And, of course, I do not deserve to have him accept my apologies. So he's... Um, He's engaging in some preemptive warding off. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Just indulging in some, um, looking back at two days in Paris. It is, it is still Paris, just like New Orleans is still New Orleans. No known relationship, except for the French thing. Ah, the French... As I say, the program will return next week. Hopefully you will too, at the other end of the audio device of your choice. That would be just like three days in Paris, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not in exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans. For help with today's program, the email address for this broadcast or podcast or whatever cast, the uh, playlist of the music heard, heard here on, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts in time for um, Halloween, all at harryshearer.com, and I'm on the Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>